When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode was sponsored by the Weber State University History Department and Mandy Booty and Chantelle Oliver. Hi, Olivia. Hi, Katie. Hypothetical for you. Mm. You are a sorcerer. Oh, you have the cool. power of magic. <laughs> All right. What do you do with it? Oh, man. Well, I mean, oh, so uh, Douglas Adams has actually answered this question for me because if I could invent or create one thing in the world by magic, okay, I would create the equivalent of his empathy gun that you can you can like <laughs> shoot it at somebody and it makes them feel the feelings of the person they're talking to. That would solve 90% of the problems in the world, I think. Yeah. So I would do that. Cool. That's what I would do. Okay. Well, let me complicate your story a little bit. No. Oh. Someone killed your son. Oh. Then you have his power. Hmm. I hope that I would do the empathy gun, but of course, it's entirely possible that I would wreak vengeance. Mm. Do you think if you were a sorcerer over the course of your lifetime, would you ever use it for something you regret? Oh, I'm sure I would. Yeah. I guess what I'm wondering is, would you trust yourself with that power? No, nobody should have that power. Why? Because power corrupts you. Power ruins your ability to empathize. So you wouldn't trust yourself with no. that power? No, I would th- throw the one ring into the fire. Into Mount Doom. Well, today I want to tell you about a sorcerer, a Viking sorcerer, Mm. who had that kind of power. Mm. And you don't have to believe in magic in order to be fascinated by her story, because she believed in magic. Ah. And so did everyone living in her world. So that's almost the same thing. Yeah. And in the Viking world, a millennium ago, these powerful, terrifying people were women. Yay! And we know this because we have intact graves mm. with female skeletons and all the trappings of magic. Mm. Magic wands, bags of herbs and drugs, staffs with spheres on the top, oh, cool. owl pellets, bird bones, poison, the whole shebang. Cool. <laughs> And the sorcerer we may know most about is a woman named Gunnhild. Gunnhild is a Viking queen. Mm. She appears in a few different Viking sagas as a supporting character. And if we piece all those together, we get her story. She's a villain. 
<laughs> she is a worker of dark magic. She does not come across as the good guy in these stories. <laughs> and that's interesting because in our modern eyes, Gunhild looks confusingly like the kind of lady you want to celebrate and <laughs> admire. And when life catches up to her in the end, mm. you might discover you were rooting for her. I'm Katie Nelson. And I'm Olivia Mickle. And this is What's-Her-Name? Fascinating women you've never heard of. Okay, in search of the story of a Viking woman, I went to Dr. Chris Tuckley. I'm Chris Tuckley. I'm Head of Interpretation and Engagement for York Archaeological Trust, based at the Jorvik Viking Centre in York, England. He told me about Gunhild because in one Icelandic saga called Egil's Saga, the climax of the story revolves around her in York. So the scene in York is sort of the, the, the show-stopping, it's the centrepiece of, of Egil's Saga. Our sources for Viking history are tricky because what we have is archaeology and then we have these sagas which were written down centuries after the fact. Supposedly it was originally passed on in a spoken form, in an oral form, and then it was written down in the Christian period. We think it was written down for the first time in the 13th century. So sagas are interesting historical sources, especially mm. because what you have is Christian monks writing this stuff down centuries after it happened yeah. and adding their own filter to it. Um, but mm. we can corroborate much of it with archaeology. Much of it mm. is myth. And the truth, you know, is somewhere in between. Historians and archaeologists are a little bit uh, wary about using sagas as as history or as reportage. Mm -hmm. these, are, these are literary items. And I'd say she sort of encapsulates certain types of, of the powerful woman mm. that you would expect. She's pretty much vilified in, in a lot of these accounts. But these are the, these are the sources aren't, that we have on, on Gunhild. We've got other sources on her husband, Eric Bloodaxe. Mm. Uh, but Gunhild is quite richly drawn in these, in these sagas. Okay. And none more so than in Egil's saga. Okay, so maybe the first thing to know is that Gunhild is actually composed of two Germanic words that both mean war. Mm. So get ready. <laughs> Let us begin as a saga would begin. <laughs> Listen all, I have a story to tell. <laughs> it's the story of the powerful sorcerer Gunhild. <laughs> and all the men she destroyed. <laughs> it is a story steeped in treachery and hate. Hmm. A battle of wits and magic. Awesome. In the far north, <laughs> in the frozen darkness of Lapland, <laughs> two warlocks lived in a hut, perfecting their dark magic. 
And they kept there a young woman named Gunhild. And she's gone there to learn magic from two immensely powerful warlocks. One day, Eric Bloodaxe, a <laughs> warlord in Denmark, son of the king, he passes through Lapland on a raid. And he and his men spot the hut. And coming nearer, they see this young woman outside the hut. He's struck by her beauty. He immediately wants to speak to her. And she decides that she wants to hook up with Eric and get away from these two warlocks. Gunhild says, Shh. Don't let the warlocks know you're here. She says, they're jealous and vengeful, and no one can escape their sorcery. If you run, they can track you as well as dogs. <laughs> and when they're angry, the ground moves and all living things fall down dead. So, she says, hide. Hide here. And I'll tell you when you can come out. <laughs> then she pulls a linen sack out and casts a spell on the warlocks and spreads the contents of the sack in and around the hut. And she bewitches them and they fall soundly asleep. Gunhild then completes the spell by covering the warlock's faces with seal skins. Hmm. And then she called for Eric Bloodaxe. And his name is Eric Bloodaxe, after all. Right. <laughs> he kills the warlocks at her bidding. Hmm. So it's a, a, a tremendous start to Gunhild's story, but it sort of sets the tone for what we can expect from her. Strong, but questionable, and also someone who is versed in uh, magical arts, which isn't necessarily disreputable all of the time. You know, we do see female seeresses, uh, shaman-type figures called Volur in the sagas, but. Gunhild tends to use her magic for destructive purposes. And now she's free. And Yay. she's learned all the magic mm. and she's met this dashing Eric Bloodaxe who <laughs> murdered for her. So it's true love. Some scholars think that this scene appears in the sagas because Eric Bloodaxe will go on to be a very unpopular king. Hmm. He's gonna have to go on the run, even. And the story of the warlocks in Lapland kind of explains it all. It's this wicked sorcerer, Gunhild. She's got control of him. Hmm. And all the evil to come is her fault. Right. And all the gendered assumptions that that implies. Right. We do see women participating in the sagas in, in a variety of, of ways. And there are some who are unambiguously to be admired for their strength of character and their strength of mind. But Gunhild isn't one of those. And I think that's probably um, why she's a villainous character, uh, is probably because she is so assertive. Which is to say that, that women in the period 
weren't assertive. And again, with the sagas, we have to remember we're not in the Viking period. What we're reading is a later take yeah. on the Viking period that's being written down by literate Christian men. Yeah. Um, but Gunhild is presented consistently as beautiful and willful and highly intelligent and she is someone who who influences very strongly her husband and his actions and often she'll push him towards fairly dark deeds and, and violent acts so she's a, a bit of a lady macbeth type character so let's see how this all went down <laughs> it all it really kicks off at a feast <laughs> a royal feast in Eric Bloodaxe's court. And one warrior at the feast named Egil. He's a warrior, he's a farmer, he's a poet, he's a binge drinker. He's given to outbursts of horrifying violence against people. It's pretty bloodthirsty stuff. He keeps drinking and drinking their beer, mm. saying that it can't quench his thirst. <gasps> this is the insult <laughs> exactly outrageous <laughs> the most offensive thing you could say or do yeah. and Gunhild will not stand for it she mixes a poison and puts it in his drink <laughs> but this Egil he's a wizard too oh and he's holding his drinking horn with the poison drink in it. He suspects she's worked some kind of magic. And so he carves some mm. runes into this drinking horn, smears his blood on it, and reveals that she was going to poison mm. him. She sees that he's onto her, and so she shouts to her guard, Kill him! And the guard lunges for Egil, but <sighs> Egil kills the guard. Oh, no. And makes his escape. <gasps> Registration is now open on What's Your Name's Yucatan Tour 2024. Join us in Mexico as we walk in the footsteps of Zazil Ha, learn traditional Mayan cooking, tour Mayan ruins, snorkel with sea turtles, and so many more off the beaten track adventures with our wonderful little band of kindred spirits. Spots are going fast, so sign up now on our website at whatsyournamepodcast.com. We can't wait to see you there. Now, it's hard to tell in what chronological order all the next stuff happens mm. because we're piecing it together from different sagas. But here are the main events. Gunhild placed a curse on Egil after mm. he got away, barring him from ever finding peace in Iceland until she had seen him again. Mm. Egil is a wanderer. He never seems to be settled in, in one place for very long. Gunhild also killed, cursed, or otherwise eliminated 
all Eric Bloodaxe's brothers and rivals oh. to consolidate their power. Oh. <laughs> she has a, a very bad reputation that's coming through in the in the sagas, and she she uses magic and she is a poisoner as well. captured one of Eric Bloodaxe's ships and killed everyone on board, including Eric and Gunhild's 10-year-old son. Oh. So Egil's not a nice character by any means. He's not really a heroic figure. He's a very compelling figure to read about because of his exploits, but you do wince as you read what sorts of things he's, he's getting up to in his, in his saga. But still, Egil couldn't lift Gunhild's curse. <laughs> Maybe he thought massacring everybody on the ship would <laughs> finally right. defeat them, but he could not lift her curse, and he wandered rootless through life. Gunhild really is seeking his death. So he laid his own curse on Gunhild. And Eric. He sets up uh, something called a scorn pole before he leaves uh, their kingdom. And one saga gives us a very specific description of how he laid the curse, like <laughs> step by step. <laughs> so, would you like to know how to lay a lifelong terrible curse on <laughs> your worst enemy? Yes, please. Okay. Eggle. Wait, no, maybe I can't handle the power. Oh, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, oh. so... I'm, I'm you... not very skilled chemically, so if it involves... <laughs> no, it's actually pretty basic. I mean, you need some particular resources, but mm. I think anybody could pull this off. So yeah. if you are not prepared to wield this power, <laughs> plug your ears now. <laughs> <laughs> First, Egil set himself up at the top of a headland facing the raging seas below. It's hmm. like standing on a cliff. Next, he takes a staff made of hazel wood hmm. and he cuts runes into the staff. This move, this is reserved only for the most dire situations. Mm -hmm. And he sticks it into the ground like a big pole. Mm. Then, and this is where you need some specific resources, he puts the severed head of a horse mm. on top of this hazelwood staff. <laughs> that is a very specific resource. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fix it in place and Point the horse head toward the waves. Mm. Swiftly, he turns the head around and faces it directly in the direction of Gunhild and Eric. Mm. And as the horse head is looking toward Gunhild, he screamed out his curse into the sky. <laughs> Guardian spirits drive them out of Norway as punishment for Gunhild's working against me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and that's how it's done. Yeah. <laughs> and thus 
began the decline of Eric Bloodaxe and Gunhild. Hmm. Their power and their honor, more importantly, started crumbling beneath them. And to make matters worse, Eric Bloodaxe has a brother, one brother still alive, in Denmark, who is called Hokan the Good. He's far more popular, far more well-liked than Eric and Gunhild. Eventually, the people of Norway invite his, this brother to come and oust mm. Eric Bloodaxe and to rule Norway. Ouch. So Gunhild conjures a storm to wreck his ship. Mm-hmm. But her storm couldn't overpower him. And sure enough, his ship later struggles into the port, battered, but they're alive. Oh. And Gunhild and Eric are ousted, and they're on the run. What then happens is Eric manages to set himself up as a, a petty king here in, in York. Uh, the historians aren't entirely clear on how this process happened. And he seems to have ruled here at least once, possibly twice eventually being expelled in 954, in which year he, he supposedly died. So Eric, we think Eric Bloodaxe, yeah. was here in York, and this is corroborated in Egil's saga. So although this isn't strictly a historical source, it does match up with, with some of the historical accounts that we have. York back then was called Jorvik, hmm. and it was a major Viking settlement, the settlement. Some of the best and most informative Viking archaeology has come from York. Huh. Back in the 1970s, some amazing sites were discovered underneath the current city of York, and they have been excavating ever since. So today when you visit York, the Jorvik Viking Center, it's a must-see. Hmm. It's on the site of the famous Coppergate Dig. And there's a kind of ride. <laughs> Think like Disney's Haunted Mansion, but educational. Ah. And you get to you sit in a cart and you ride through Viking Jorvik, <laughs> seeing the houses and the streets, and all of it is based directly on the archaeology that they found there. Oh, cool. It was a busy place. In this multicultural society, People have different appearances, languages, religions, and possessions. The remains of part of this thriving city were found right here. And by carefully piecing together all of the archaeological evidence and what we know from other sources, you can now visit the Viking Age. You learn all kinds of things as you go, and there's a screen on your little car that's always displaying the actual artifacts that the scene is based on. Huh. I've never seen anything like it. Wow. Ahead, you can see a simple, single-story building. These older houses were built from posts and wattles and had earth floors and thatched roofs. These early houses were built end-on to the streets and had long backyards with rubbish pits in them. It's not likely that they grew much food in their yards but they probably kept animals there, such as those pigs you can see in the pen by the fence. From the many pig bones we found here, we know that Viking pigs were quite short and had a long snout like a wild boar. Here's the blacksmith's house. Look inside and you can see his wife by the fire. Grummy, the blacksmith, is teaching his son how to sharpen a knife he has just made. 
when we first opened, the way in which we represented women was fairly conventional. They were very much at home, mm-hmm. in sort of smoky dark interiors around the hearth. Some were shopping, and this wasn't unnoticed by early commentators who sort of came through and said, well, this is, seems a very, a very conventional way of representing women and what sorts of activities they might be, might be engaged in. In this front room, you can see a woman working at the loom, which was used to weave woolen cloth for clothing and blankets. We lack information on how women spent their time in the 10th century. So often the tendency is to fall back on comfortable stereotypes of how women are and behave and spend their time and all the rest of it, which owe more to the the 20th and 21st century than than they do to the the 10th. At the same time, we sort of help to embed in the popular imagination the idea that Viking doesn't just apply to bearded men on long ships in horned helmets. So I think Jorvik helped to broaden the, the use of that term Viking so that it can encompass peacetime, it can encompass women and children as well. And interesting work continues around women and their role in in Viking society. Vikings, more than maybe any other historical people, seem to function as like screens upon which we project our expectations. Mm. The Vikings have, through time, been whatever we want them to be. (laughs) Vikings become um, a repository or a place onto which we project our desires. We, we want to be Vikings. We want to prove we're descended from Vikings. You know, if we, some men want to prove that they are part of this macho and muscular and independent tradition that goes back to the Viking period. And as the TV series has been reflecting lately, we also want strong women. We want gender mm. equality in 2020 (laughs) and so we project that onto the past also we want Mm. female warriors a warrior woman is someone we can admire determine taking no prisoners um, succeeding in a man's world all of these kinds of notions which which really are ours but we are we're on the the hunt for historical figures onto whom we can project those ideas and I think we have to be honest with ourselves and a little bit, little bit cautious. So I asked Dr. Tuckley, are there shield maidens? How many are there? Mm. <laughs> Do these women exist? And he says, they've only found one. Aww. And this one is very controversial. Darn. But Janet Montgomery, do you remember her? Professor Montgomery yes. from our Neolithic episode? Yes. Mm-hmm. She is currently using her very new, very exciting technique of being able to determine the sex of a skeleton, mm. remember, from just using a tooth. Right. She has been using that method, working her way through all the known Viking warrior graves in search of women. Oh, cool. <laughs> and she hasn't found any yet. No. <laughs> so, yeah. That's, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Maybe the one that they found is a transgender person. Yeah, totally. I guess Hmm. Professor Montgomery right now is kind of taking on the task of saying, how unusual is that grave? And so far, it looks very, very unusual. Very unusual. Boo. But Mm. that doesn't stop 
movies from adding women in as fierce warriors equal to the men. And we're just Mm. kind of projecting that onto the Vikings. Right. But we're not the only ones projecting onto them. Vikings seem particularly vulnerable from, from that point of view. They do get taken up and to an extent hijacked by, by all sorts of different groups who want to identify themselves closely with, with the Vikings. I think hopefully Jorvik has done something to problematize that Viking label uh, in the popular imagination. So I had been hoping that Gunhild was a warrior, a shield maiden. Mm. But no. And anyway, why would she need to use brute force when she's a sorcerer? Right, you don't have to fight when you can just grab a horse head and... (laughs) Yeah, she's got all the power already. Yeah. And that curse she laid on Egil all those years ago, Mm. it's still working. (gasps) Gunhild's magic, it's always sort of snapping at his heels. He's constantly sort of feeling pursued and he's always on the move and always very restless. One night when he was sailing the North Sea, she, in Jorvik, she could feel or see mm-hmm. that he was near enough she could finally grab him. Mm. She sent a storm to lash his boat and push it toward the shores of her kingdom. And uh, Egil is shipwrecked in the Humber estuary. He escapes the shipwreck. He and all of his men escape. Ooh. But when he learned the land he now stood on was the kingdom of Eric Bloodaxe and Gunhild, he decided that the time of running from the curse was over. He had to face mm. them. And he decides that although his old enemy, Eric Bloodaxe, is here ruling in York, the best course of action is to come here and to present himself at the, at the king's court. He comes to them asking for mercy. Are you kidding? Kill him, says Gunhild. <gasps> he murdered our son. But killing a man at night is dishonorable in Viking culture. Mm. So Eric decreed that Egil should be kept under house arrest and then killed the next morning. Mm. Overnight, Egil decided his only hope was to compose a poem. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously. Egil is a renowned scald or Viking poet. And we know that Vikings valued renown. And if your renown could be captured in a poem and then passed on down the years, that confers a kind of immortality on you. Their culture is all about songs and poems that are told and passed on. That's how you get fame. That's how you achieve honor. It's everything. Mm. Huge amount of power. Iceland and Scandinavia have cultures rich in storytelling, traditions that developed in Viking times. Norse mythology, which conjures up gods and monsters living in known realms, still captures the imagination today. And we can picture what it was like sitting around a hearth, enjoying tall tales of magic and bravery. So he decides overnight he's going to compose the greatest praise poem ever composed, (laughs) celebrating Eric Bloodaxe. And the next morning Mm. he would recite this in front of the court in order to save his life. So Egil is given one night 
off he goes and he closets himself away in an attic room and he begins to compose the poem. But there's this obnoxious bird Mm. outside the window that will Mm. not shut up. There is a swallow on the roof and it's twittering away and the twittering is disturbing his train of thought. And the saga isn't explicit on this point, but I think the implication is that this is Gunhild, yeah. who is, uh, can shapeshift. And again, this is uh, an attribute of people who have mastery of the magical arts in, in the Viking period, is that they can assume the, the form of, of animals and birds. So this is a ploy on, on Gunhild's part to uh, disrupt Egil's train of thought and to spoil the composition of the poem. Ah, mm-hmm. clever. And the next morning, he heads into the court to recite this saga that he hopes will save his life. Eric Bloodaxe and Gunhild are looking on. Gunhild seething with hatred in her eyes. We actually have the complete text of it in Egil's saga. (laughs) Here are some excerpts. Heed now, O king, twill honor bring. How well I sing, men hearkening. Most have heard tell of warlords quell, the drear marked well where the dead fell. Across seas leaps his fame, plain truth I declaim, in Norway the same, Eric's great name. Warrior, give thought to that which I have wrought. Glads me this court with silence fraught. With my mind's mouth I drew up the truth from Odin's sea, warlord, for thee. King's fame I hailed till silence failed. Words measure I can in halls of men. From joy's deep spirit, praised prince's merit, and forth did bear it that most might hear it. Egil performs it successfully at Eric's court. Eric was flattered by the poem. (laughs) Of course. The next day, he let him go and is allowed to leave. You do sympathise with her, actually, because Egil's not a character that it's easy to like. Right. It's easy to be fascinated by him, but he's not likeable. Mm. And he has a lot of blood on his hands. And you do find yourself, or at least I do, sympathising with Gunhild and, you know, understanding why she would want to draw a line at this point when she's finally got Egil within her grasp. But he, he does manage to escape her desire for revenge. Now, we actually have a pretty good idea of where this happened in Jorvik, in modern-day York. Current place names sometimes offer clues to the past. If you go on a walk through York, there is a square called King Square or King's Court. The name King's Court starts to appear in documents uh, quite early on in uh, in the High Medieval period, and it is thought that this might point to where the kings of York had their 
courts or their palace. Oh. So we need to dig it up. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, there was a church on top of it. That's gone down and now it's an open square and it's uh, the chocolate museum is on the edge oh. of it. That, yes, often if, I'm, if I've been asked to show people around York and do a sort of a Viking walking tour of York, there's very little above ground to point out to people. But I always stop in King Square and, and give them a potted version of the, of the, um, the head ransom poem episode from Egil's Saga. This is the poem by which Egil saved his head, and that's why it's known as the Head Ransom Poem. So Egil lives on, <laughs> and his curse is still in effect. So Eric Bloodaxe and Gunhild's power wanes once again, and eventually Eric Bloodaxe was killed in an ambush. Whoa. When Eric goes, yeah. she goes as well. And she's supposed to have um, gone and been influential in the in the lives of her sons then who went on to rule in Norway. Uh, so she continues to be an active agent in the ruling class in the Scandinavian world. Now she's generally remembered as Gunhild, mother of kings. Hmm. But she outlived her sons too in the mm. brutal Game of Thrones that was the Viking world. And in 977, King Harold Bluetooth <laughs> decreed that Gunhild the Sorcerer should be thrown into a bog and drown. Oh. She is deliberately drowned in a bog, having been lured to her death. I think on the promise of marrying King Harold Bluetooth. Her enemies finally catch up with her and she's thrown into a bog and drowned. And she died a miserable, suffocating, oh. ignoble death. Why? What did she do? What did she do? What did she do but exact revenge on all her enemies and kill all her brothers-in-law. <laughs> I guess. She did it all for... They all did that stuff. Yeah. And in the mid-1800s, the body of a woman was found in a bog. Whoa. This perfectly preserved bog woman. The chemical makeup of a bog. Yeah. It's the perfect place to preserve a body, basically like turn the person into leather, almost mummify them. Whoa. And across Scandinavia, they said, we have discovered the body of Queen Gunhild. They wow. put her on display in a museum. Uh, and with the development of carbon dating techniques later on, they discovered that she's actually an Iron Age hmm. woman. She dates to like 500 BCE. Whoa. So still awesome, but not Gunhild. <laughs> what is increasingly apparent is that whenever there has been uh, conflict, women have been involved. If not often, then sometimes as combatants. Um, so I don't think there's, there's a problem in making space within Viking era warfare for women to have been present. So, in thinking about Gunhild and her life, just her ferocity and her 
uh, unwillingness to give in. I want to respect that. I want to like her. But yeah. also, I'm uncomfortable <laughs> with the choices she made. But I don't know, what would I do if I had the power of magic and could work revenge on my enemies? Yeah. She's beautiful and intelligent and, and powerful. Um, she's clearly got a, got a vengeful and a cruel streak. We all have power, and maybe not magic, but the power of words, of actions, and impacting other people's lives. Hmm. And I think, like Gunhild, we can choose how to use it. Hmm. We have all been wronged, deeply wronged, perhaps. Hmm. And if we had magic, what? Hmm revenges we could work <laughs> but maybe the story of Gunhild is a cautionary tale beware your own power and use it wisely hmm. cool Special thanks to Dr. Chris Tuckley and Beth Dawes at the Jorvik Viking Center in York. The incredible Viking music for this episode was recorded by the Swedish singer Osa Larsson and by the German band Dwevelspach, both of whom you can find on our website, whatshernamepodcast.com. If you love Viking history, check out York's 36th Annual Viking Festival, happening this February 15th to the 23rd. You can find links to all of this, plus recommended books like Eggle's Saga on our website, whatshernamepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we post lots of additional content each week. Eggle's Head Ransom poem was read by Mark Nelson, and our theme song was composed and performed by Daniel Foster Smith. We have a huge amount of gratitude for all of our patrons. You can become a patron for as little as a buck a month to help make more of these episodes happen. Just go to our website, whatshernamepodcast.com, and click on Donate. Thank you for donating. Thanks for listening.